today we come, as Richard said, to the final session in our course. Just get my papers organised. Had a bit of a panic earlier when my electronic thing didn't work, but it's now working again. So let's, uh, let's start the clock. So, I want to thank you for all the feedback you've given us in recent weeks. It's been helpful. It's helped us gauge the content for when we launch whatever it is we do after Easter. We presented the draft talks and the discussions we've gained your views. Now, today we're going to conclude the experiment, as Richard said. There'll still be opportunity for discussion, but we'd like you to consider this, this week in the context of the whole, because it's a conclusion that brings things together. Now, this is the course that we have covered. These are the five weeks so far. You'll recognize the titles if you've been here. So in the first week, we looked at the state of the world. Richard asked the question, is there more to life than this? And I think we can all agree that the world around about us is in quite a state. The news leaves us in no doubt. There's widespread economic and social difficulties. Within all of that, however, all of us, whatever our circumstances, we seek, we seek significance, security, and acceptance. And the world has solutions, it thinks, to that, but they don't give lasting satisfaction. That's not to say everything in the world is bad. Far from it. Last week, Angie showed us that lovely time-lapse image of a monarch butterfly metamorphosing from a chrysalis to, or from a pupa through to a, a butterfly. And this was the outcome. I think we'd agree that's beautiful. And there's human kindness, which we hear about from time to time, which punctuates the tide of bad news, which burdens what we hear. But nothing in the world seems to last, does it? Nothing. And even though the vast majority of our nation would describe themselves as non-religious, there's an essential belief that God exists. In recent surveys, something like 60% of the UK population believe that God exists. So we're not a nation of atheists. It's in finding the relevance of God personally that lies the challenge. Now, there are numerous major world religions. There are Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims. They represent quite a proportion of the globe. And they all have their ways of doing things, and they all believe that they're the only way. And if you adhere to what they say, you'll either find your entrance to heaven or you'll return to earth in a better form. It's only Christianity, only Christianity, that's built on the principle that God can be known. I have Muslim friends, and we have conversations about this, and they will say to me, well, God cannot be known. I'll say, well, I do know him. I have a relationship with him, as surely as I have a relationship with you. I believe that is true. And it's a relationship we can enter by virtue of his actions on our behalf and not our own efforts. And we're going to look at that just a bit more in a moment. So un to understand why God has made a way for us to enter a relationship with him, you need, we need to understand the concept of sin. Richard showed this picture in the first week. You can see there at the Beverly Rifle Club, actually, they do archery there too, a collection of arrows you can see there's been an extreme act of righteousness because there's one arrow right in the middle of the target. But if you look carefully, you'll see in the bottom left there's a serious sin with an arrow that's missed the target altogether. <laughs> the significance of this is that sin is not exclusively doing what is wrong. It can also be failing to do what's right. 
that puts a different context. We had a visitor in one of the weeks of the course who hadn't grasped that, and he said to me afterwards that was helpful to him to see sin in that light rather than a sort of condemnatory negative thing. But the consequence of all sin is the same, whether it's the failure to do what's right or the deliberate practice for what is wrong or even inadvertent. It separates us from God because he is perfect. If he's God, he's perfect. That's his nature. And he cannot tolerate sin at all. But the really good news, the really good news is that God sent his son to take on human form, live amongst us and die as a punishment for all sin, past present and to come. That took us to the topic of Jesus, the cross and the resurrection. Now in the second week, we looked at this and we saw that the evidence for Jesus' life is indisputable. There's just some emblems that represented three commentators of the day, Josephus, Suetonus and Tacitus, who weren't Christian sort of uh, enthusiasts, they weren't people advocating Christianity, they were just historians capturing what happened in the event of the day. They recorded Jesus' birth and life and the events. Believers and skeptics alike accept as historic fact that Jesus was born. And we pivot our calendar around that event. You know, this is, this is a fact. And there are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament where men hundreds of years before Jesus said this and this and this and this will happen, even to the precision of saying in which town he would be born. That's what Micah declared. And so it happened. Now, if all these things happened and then they were fulfilled, that's surely too many things for a coincidence. He existed. Now, Jesus was both man and God. Completely man and completely God. And that allows him to empathise with the full breadth of human feeling. And this is one reason why I love him so. Because he empathises with the positive and the negative things within me, the fears and foibles I have to contend with on a daily basis. He empathises with all of that. And that's why I love him so. I don't worship someone who's distant and unapproachable. I worship somebody who understands what it is to be a human. He, w- he cried with those who were sad and he rejoiced with those who were happy. He had enormous time for the simple and the straightforward. And he was scathing of religious bigots. Now as a man operating under the power of the Holy Spirit, you see in the picture here, he was able to exercise authority over sickness and demonic influence. He did it to demonstrate that the kingdom of God was amongst the people he was within. And the wonderful thing is this, we too can do that if we operate under the same power of the Holy Spirit. He commanded us to. He even said that we'd do greater things than that. He could also perceive people's thoughts. And we need to understand that when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying King Jesus. That's what the Christ bit means. He was and he forever will be the ruler of another kingdom. Jesus made his claim to be God publicly, and that ultimately cost him his life, as we heard earlier in some of the singing. He was crucified. Crucified. A death that was reserved for those who needed to be made an example of. It was painful, it was prolonged, and it was humiliating. We will reenact this in a few weeks' time in the Passion Blay. And there will be 1,000 or 1,200 people in the market square there, Saturday Market, who will witness this event, and it will be in silence. It doesn't need any words. It's an event that resonates through all history because of its significance. Physically, Jesus was strung up on a cross. As criminals before, and criminals subsequent to him were. But this was not just a natural event, it was a supernatural event. At that moment, something happened throughout the universe and all eternity, which was part of God's plan. 
the temple. The curtain was torn from top to bottom. If a man had torn it, it would have been from bottom to top. This was God saying, I've, I've fulfilled what I set out to do. I've enacted the sacrifice that ends all further sacrifice. Jesus died. We looked at this in week three. And Joseph of Arimathea gathered up his body and put it in the tomb he'd prepared for himself. That rock there probably weighed two metric tons. And it was rolled in front of the door. Yet, three days later, there was an empty tomb and the stone had been moved. Now Jesus had predicted this would happen, but his disciples didn't understand it at the time. And then they realised, so it was. So it was. I spoke in the talk that I gave in week three about Mark, week two even about Mark Tully. And he said, if there had been no miracle after Jesus' death, there would be no grounds for faith in a failed life. If there's no resurrection, there's no church. People have tried to disprove the resurrection, but they've not succeeded. All we believe collapses if it's not true. I believe it. And I believe I will be resurrected too, and so will all of you. Because that is what Jesus said would happen. In week three, Angie talk to us about the supernatural world. Beyond believing that there's a God existing, which we spoke about a few moments ago, there's a general acceptance of a supernatural sort of arena, whether it's fortune-telling or seances or all of these kind of phenomena. People accept that. Might just be looking at their horoscope or something. There's there's an acceptance. There's something beyond the physical world in which we live. And a bit of a belief there, but nothing specific. Christianity, however is absolutely specific on this point. That there, is, there are two domains, good and evil, opposing forces. They're not equal, but they oppose each other. And the picture that you see on the screen there is from the, the artist Peter Bruegel, and it's trying to demonstrate the conflict that existed in heaven when a senior angel called Satan decided that he had authority of his own. And there was a battle which resulted in him, somewhere in that mix, being thrown out of heaven along with the third of the other angelic beings. And that established another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan. Not content with rebelling against God himself and getting thrown out of heaven, Satan then set about getting mankind to rebel as well. And unfortunately, that therein lies the root of our sinful nature and our separation, which I mentioned at the start. But God didn't leave things there. He launched his plan to bring us back under his rule. And this, this verse from Isaiah, which is written in slightly archaic language, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded for the sake of us. He was crushed for our sins. And the punishment that, that he took brought, peace, uh, uh, brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. When we reenact this in Saturday Market, it will be a reenactment. But for me, it's more than that. It takes on a spiritual significance because it's a factual encounter and I think it's an utter privilege to be able to demonstrate the town of Beverly the reason we celebrate Easter. It's not bunnies and baskets and eggs and all this frivolity. It's because that's the point when God enacted his plan to redeem the world for himself. Don't get distracted by my emotion but it's not not possible for me to talk about these things because somebody died on my behalf. If I'd laid my life down for you you would feel some debt towards me. And I can't confront it. I pay the part of a priest. I was responsible for precipitating that. That's not easy either. But I do it for the sake of authenticity. But in this, in this, we are healed. In this, we are restored. And uh, we sang earlier, only he can rescue. 
Only he can save. Only he can lift us from the grave. Why? Because he set the precedent. He set the precedent. In week four, we looked at choosing God's world, and Richard took us through the process by which we become Christians. And that means we have to think about acceptance, that Jesus really is who he said he was. Not just a notional thing, but actually seriously accepting it. We then need to surrender to God through repentance. And repentance is a religious word, but it means practically that we change the way we think, and as a consequence, we change the way we act. Mere thought is not enough. It's got to be a change of thought and a change of action. And that's what God looks for. And then we give our life to him in submission. I did that 39 years ago. And I'm still enjoying all that brings. All of that. I handed over my ambitions as a rather headstrong and pig-headed young man. I handed it all over to God. I was confronted in prophetic words before I even stood there. Will you give your life to me, God said. Will you hand over your ambitions and expectations and aspirations? Will you lay it all down and let me make of it what you will? Or will you do it for yourself? And I realized in that moment that before I was born, before I was conceived, God had a plan and purpose which he'd ordained and he was inviting me to willingly become a part of it and not contend with it. And he extends the same invitation to all of you. Trust. (laughs) Trust. People want to be trusted in the world, but they're fearful of trusting. And for good reason, because the world is an unreliable place. But we can trust in his love, because he's gone before us. He isn't making an empty promise. He doesn't say, I can save you, and then he didn't save himself. He doesn't say, I can't heal you, and he didn't heal people. He does what he says. He's trustworthy. And finally... In seeking to allow his Holy Spirit to come in our lives, transforming us from what we once were to the person he wants us to be. I'm not there yet. In one of the tutorials at East Riding College, I explained to the students that I was German and English and Jewish and a practicing Christian. And quick as a flash, one lad said, what's a practicing Christian? No hesitation. He just looked me in the eye and said, what's a practicing Christian? And in a moment of inspiration, Carolyn, I said... One who's still got a bit of work to do. (laughs) Uh, There's still a bit of work. (laughs) Still a lot of work. But I'm glad that God is transforming me to be the person he wants me to be. And he'll do the same for you in direct proportion to your willingness. And then this wonderful picture that Richard showed us in his talk. I do love this. I wanted to really animate it so the fish would jump across. But that was not possible in the time of it. Sorry? (laughs) We enter into a relationship with God when we go through things and we pray to receive him, repenting and accepting who he is. Becoming a Christian, though, is more than knowing about God. This is the key. You can know about God as a theologian. You can know about God as a scholar. You can know about God just by listening to all the facts. That's not sufficient. Necessary, but not sufficient. He calls us to become acquainted with him. We've lost the distinction in the English language, but in French, savoir means to know about something. If you said... Je sais les choses de Dieu. I know about the things of God. But if you said, uh, Mon père, je, je, uh, je le connais. 
my father, I know him, I'm acquainted with him. He's somebody who I'm related to. That's what that means. We've lost that distinction in English. But don't let that linguistic thing take away from you the fact that God is inviting you to know about him, but to be acquainted with him. That's the the tremendous thing which excites me so much. We already heard that Jesus sits over one kingdom and Satan sits over another. And at the moment when we enter the relationship with God and become born again, we pass from one kingdom to the other. We don't become perfect overnight, but our purpose and direction changes. And through the Bible and the Holy Spirit, we come to understand how he thinks and what matters. So, last week, Angie took us into the topic of who are we really? At the start, I said something about searching for significance, security and acceptance. We looked at this further during this week. And when Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, he meant exactly that. Not a a confinement to religious rules, but a freedom that has been granted to us, not that we've taken for ourselves. And the root of it is is recognising who we are in Christ. And this is what the Bible has to say about it. Angie showed us this last week too. We are a new creation. Not like a TV advert, there's no veneer in here. We haven't been coated with a, a nice layer. We have been changed from our core. We are new creations, metamorphosed. As surely as the DNA of the butterfly is the same as the, as the caterpillar, but it's a new creation. It's not what it was. It's become something completely new in form from its core. People in the world try and achieve significance through their performance in life and the things they accomplish. Many try and achieve security through the accumulation of money and possessions. And they might try and achieve acceptance by the perception of who they are. We said a little bit about that in the video last week from Sean. If those things are our sole means, we will not be lastingly satisfied. The wonderful truth is that a relationship with God provides for all of that in a lasting way, which cannot be robbed from us. Because God has sought us out and done all that's necessary, we're accepted without a struggle. He takes us as we are and forgives us and then starts the work of transformation. Now, having made the transition from one kingdom to the other... We become secure in the fact we now occupy God's territory. And as we saw last week through the Bible, God tells us repeatedly. This this slide breaks all the rules of PowerPoint. But it displays wonderfully that God has put an abundance of affirmation in the Bible that we are valuable, wanted and significant to him. He's made that choice. You haven't earned it. And I find that wonderfully affirming and liberating. When I feel low and I feel a failure and people are getting at me and I feel my confidence is eroded, I know that in God I am valuable, wanted and significant. And no man, no influence, no power, no thing can take it away from me. Because God has orchestrated it and he will never rescind it. So, we come to our conclusion. Two minutes to go. Wow. Now, we've spoken today and in previous days about a choice. And Richard showed us this picture, which I love. There are two arrows It really has two options. There is no third way that sits comfortably in the middle. You can't lead a good life and hope it'll sort out in the end. If I let you get away with that, I would have betrayed you. If you're ready to make that choice, you will have found relevance in the things we've been saying in these weeks. You may be thinking, I want to find that relationship with God, and so the significance and security and acceptance he offers. You might also be someone who's enjoyed that relationship in part, or in full previously, but it's all grown a bit dim and distant. God's invitation to you today, and I'm making it on his behalf, is to make that commitment, or to renew it if it's gone a little cold with time. 
The invitation is to become part of his body. Not to be into, into a relationship in isolation, but to be knit together into a group of people. Yeah. Then you can enjoy freedom. Richard said, in Richard's sharing earlier in the meeting, he spoke about the things we've been freed from. Guilt and shame and inferiority. All these things that exist in the world to make us feel less than we are in God. But more than that, you may truly become the individual God intended you to be. He will make more of me than I could ever make of myself. Lastingly so, and to his satisfaction, which is what all that matters eternally. And the same for all of you. There are no exceptions, no redundancy, no only, no just. You are all special and selected by God. And he will do that because that's his purpose. And slotting him into the body is where you will find that place. Now, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything like that. But I do ask, and we ask, that if this is the place you find yourself today in wanting to make or renew that commitment, that you allow us to pray with you before our time together concludes. If you're not quite sure, but you're on the way, then we'll pray God will give you confidence to consider the thing further. We certainly won't coerce you. I don't like that, so I won't do it. But if you're sure then don't delay. Enter the relationship now. Let it begin. Let it begin. And we'll simply pray with you to make that transition from one kingdom to another. You won't have to leap from one goldfish bowl to another. You can remain in your seat. But spiritually, you will make the transition from the kingdom which you found yourself in through an inheritance which was not your responsibility into a decision to become part of the kingdom of God. So, if you found this course useful, then, uh, oh, let me just show you this. That's Mother Teresa, of whom you will have heard. And she said, prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God. And that really, at the end of the day, is my invitation to you. If you found this course useful, it's enabled you to make a decision about where you want to take your life, then we'd like to invite you to consider the Foundations course that follows. And that will help you learn how to worship, pray, and read the Bible. And uh, if you'd like more details about that, please speak with Richard or Angie after this time together.